Somebody once asked my teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, how do you train people in Dharma practice? And he said, I put them out in the forest and I leave them there. I surround them with metta, love, care, friendliness. And I leave them there until they realize that the nature is their nature. It's kind of the translation. He said it in Thai. So it's a little, I put them out in the forest, I leave them out in nature. I leave them to what we were calling yesterday, listen with the cells. To listen to the natural rhythms, tides, movements of experience. To pay attention to the nature of experience that we hear and feel and sense and know moving in us, around us, through us, as us. Until we realize that this nature is our nature. That our nature is this nature. Generally, we we grow up and we develop some kind of psychological structure, more or less healthily. And we identify with that psychological structure. And we take this psychological structure and this physical form to be who we are. And we feel and act as though this physical form and psychological structure is in some kind of opposition to nature, or to the world, to others. So we engage with I, physical form and psychological structure, engage with the world, I engage with others. Therefore I feel apart, separate from others and the world. And that apartness is to some degree lonely or alienating. And so, if I look carefully, a lot of what I find I'm doing, a lot of what I'm doing with myself, a lot of what I'm doing with others, a lot of what I'm doing in the world, is some attempt to dissolve that distance. I seek intimacy with others as a way to try to get some closeness, some intimacy, some love. I seek pleasure and gratification through whatever means as a way to somehow feel complete, whole. If we look at pleasure, often just notice at lunch the way in which... Healthy lunch, tasty lunch, important to be able to nourish ourselves and to enjoy, right? Enjoy. People have 
really cared for the food, the making the food, the growing the food, etc., to enjoy. And maybe that's what's going on. But how, if we look closely, particularly when there's some grab, what we've been calling fixating on some pleasant object, often the move towards that grab, that uh, gratification, is some attempt to, to bring the world inside to generate or create some kind of unity with, to dissolve the gap. So to the extent that we take ourselves to be this physical form and this psychological structure, to that extent we feel apart, to that extent we, you know, we find ourselves uh, again and again, again and again trying and sometimes momentarily succeeding to feel a sense of wholeness or deep connection or inclusion. And then it fades back to identifying with physical form and psychological structure, and then we begin again. That's the unvarnished version of human life. And then Ajahn Buddhadasa says, or encourages us to kind of put ourselves in nature and to listen with ourselves and to let the naturalness of our experience kind of act on us, inform us, awaken us so that we see that all of this all that's seen, all that's heard, all that's felt, all that's known, is natural. It's our nature to be here. It's our nature to think and feel and move. It's our nature to be human. And that this nature can be known more and more deeply, felt more and more deeply, and expressed more and more freely. So we attend to the nature of experience. The fourth satipatthana, right? Dhammanupasana come into the nature of experience. And the other three satipatthanas, kāyānupāsana, coming into bodily experience, vedānupāsana, coming into the valence, the pleasantness or unpleasantness or neutralness, the affect of experience. Cittānupāsana, coming into the world of emotion and thought and changing mind states. Really, the fourth dhammanupasana, dhamma means nature. To come into the nature of experience really means to come into those other realms, bodily experience, affective experience, emotional experience, mental experience, 
sensory experience, imaginative experience, all of experience, otherwise. And to come into all of experience, seeing it, knowing it, exploring it as as a natural unfolding. A free unfolding. And also what we could call a, a lawful unfolding. That's another nuance of the meaning of Dhamma. Means, um, lawful is a little strange. We could say orderly. We could say intelligent, actually. Right? That experience, in other words, isn't random. It's like, because we are humans, we have human nature, we've developed human traits, human senses, a human mind, human heart. Just like an oak tree develops oak leaves. Just like seasons follow in a lawful way, in an orderly way. Is that clear when I say it like that? Because the word lawful is a little strange. Lawful means, um, really means according to its nature. Nature isn't random. There's orderliness. There's intelligence. We tend to go to one of two extremes. One extreme is it's all random. So it's just it's some kind of just it's just by chance that there's pl- planets, life, and then amoebas arrived, and then they managed to transform into lizards, and then lizards turned into monkeys, and monkeys became human. And it's all just some kind of complete um, chaotic, random, you know, fizzing of atoms that somehow became like this. That's one extreme. It's all um, chaotic randomness. And then the other extreme is there's a divine plan. It's all created. There's a great cosmic controller pulling knobs and turning levers and then thinking, oh my God, human beings, what have I done? And that there's, there's someone or something kind of managing and ordering and guiding everything in the universe. And if we really, if we, we may subscribe to some view somewhere on that spectrum, but if we take either of those views to their Extremes and those two extremes are the most common two views, right? That we find it's all ordered by some cosmic creator or guiding force, or no, there isn't a cosmic guiding force, it's all just surprising, random. If we reinvestigate, at least we might conclude that both things seem highly unlikely. 
So the encouragement is actually to put aside views, views tend in the direction of being extreme by virtue of the fact that their view is a rigid thing, a fixed thing, not open to possibility. So we encourage to put aside views and attend to experience. When we attend to experience, we don't find a divine plan. We don't find that experience is um, being controlled in some way or guided. But nor do we find random chance. We find this awkwardly named lawfulness orderliness, naturalness. So we attend to the nature of breathing body. This sharing of the rhythm and tide and natural movement of experience with all other phenomena, like we've mentioned. We attend to the nature of changing, fluid experience, the touch of the sweet, the delightful, the pleasant, and the touch of the rough, the unpleasant. We attend to the nature of heart and mind, the nature of feeling, the nature of wanting, the nature of conceiving, the nature of imagining, the nature of mind that moves, that seeks out objects, that produces ideas and images and impulses. And we find that this is our nature. We find we don't need to blame ourselves for having a mind or a body nor anybody else nor some cosmic controller that's where blame usually goes we blame ourselves a lot of us are blame. Oh. even just in meditation mind goes here oh mind's gone there oh why am I, is my mind like this it's human nature mind moves or mind goes somewhere, maybe to anger, and we'd like to blame somebody else. Why did they put their flip-flops in the, my flip-flop place outside the hall? <laughs> or whatever it is. We want to blame someone else. Or we want to blame you know, God, life, itself, the universe. My mother has this strange phrase when things go wrong. She says, typical. What does that mean? Typical. It has the assumption behind it. It is as if that's the proof that life is deliberately making things awkward for me. That's how we feel sometimes. As if the whole of the vast, limitless universe is busy organizing itself to frustrate me. One of my good friends, her teacher wrote a book, 
Sherry Huber, my name is, she wrote a book called You Are Not Your Fault. And we see that the nature, the nature of mind is to move. The nature of emotional life, the fact that we can talk about anger or fear or jealousy or anxiety, and that we know what we mean, right? Because rather than these being my problems, my issues, they're human nature. That's how we can all recognize them. When we start to recognize that this anxiety isn't actually my, mine, it's the product of human body, human mind, human heart, human life, human nature, we might start to forgive us, or forgive ourselves our trespasses. Do you know that? It's a line from the the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. What might it be to attend to bodily life, affective life, emotional life, mental life, without blaming yourself or anybody else for it? What might it be to forgive your mind, each movement it makes. What might it be to come inside this emotional wave, this uh, grasping impulse, this restless state, this natural moment, This is Dhammanupasana. Upasana, coming inside, natural experience. For some of us, the support of breathing body is a really helpful way to do that. So that the anapanasati, right, awareness in this tide of in-breath and out-breath can run through all the uh, satipatthanas. Just noticing the touch of the pleasant or the unpleasant or the neutral, whatever it is, in the expansion of the in-breath, in the relaxation of the out-breath and in the still point between breaths. When there's the touch of something sweet, beautiful, ah, touching, to to actually expand into that pleasantness with the in-breath, to be able to relax into knowing that delight, that ease, that beauty, whatever it is, in the out-breath. And when there's something unpleasant, actually to be able to expand with the unpleasant, so as to have the space, the perspective, the kind of wide embrace of attention that's able to be with, able to explore. 
And then in the relaxation of the out-breath, able to soften, to stay, to cultivate a kind of a quietitude that isn't just caught up in reactivity. Same with emotional experience, mental experience, whatever mind's doing, wherever mind's going, whatever story mind is making. The, the, the using of this kind of, this steady tide, this natural movement, this basic aliveness, expanding into meeting, relaxing into being with. Expanding into meeting, whatever's here, relaxing into being with whatever's here. And sometimes something specific is standing out, some particular emotional movement, some particular fixation that one can attend to in that way. And sometimes nothing particular is standing out. And then, just in that movement, in that tide, the naturalness of it, we might find that actually the lawfulness, the nature of experience is being revealed. Changing nature of the breath, like the changing nature of everything else. The fluid nature of the breath, like the fluid nature of everything else. The happening by itself nature of the breath, neither random nor controlled. Just like the happening by itself, intelligently, orderly, of everything else in the universe. And we don't have to make that connection in a mental way through thinking about it. And just allowing that movement to show us as we recognize that this whole universe arises and passes right here in this body. That the nature that's here is the nature that's there. That the nature of this, whatever this is, the nature of this is the nature of all things. So, for some, as you're practicing today, that the sort of that tracking of the anapana uh, might run through any and all experience. And um, and for, for others, it may be that when something stands out, one of the realms of experience, right, one of the satipatthanas some particular mind state, some physical reaction, etc., etc., that actually in that moment your attention goes from the breath to whatever's needing attention. And it's just, you see what suits you. All of, all of experience can be met in the rhythm of breathing body. And all experience can be met just on its own terms. And it seems to me that it really depends on people's aptitude 
Some find the, there's something particular about breath that makes it into a particularly potent and useful kind of refuge and reference point for all experience. And others find that awareness itself is the fundamental reference point. And so one cultivates a certain steadiness of awareness through using breathing body. And then that awareness is just available to attend to whatever arises. To attend to the naturalness of whatever arises. To explore the nature of this mind state. Fluid nature. Changing nature. Natural nature. So, in this way, either using the Anapana track or just the, um, the Sati track, mindful awareness, in this way, we're kind of open to any and all experience. And yet, at any point, if that openness feels fuzzy or confusing, one's not sure what to attend to or where to attend or how to attend then you just come back to establishing great simplicity of practice. Here. In an an immediate way. In an intimate way. In a simple way. In a natural way. It's like this then, that we practice together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.